there one thing that we're finding is and and I've been on some things like I didn't know what wholesaling was. Like I've been in the real estate business and and now it sort of came together for me what like these these uh, these things that people buy where it's like, hey, get rich in real estate with no money, yeah. right? And it's like, I, I actually became shocked to say, so let me get this straight. Somebody put allows you to put their house under contract with no money so you can go sell that contract to somebody else? Like that's insanity to me. It's literally insanity, <laughs> right? So, and there's so many investors today. We're getting calls directly from investors saying, we're looking for inventory. We're like we're desperate to buy stuff. So here's the big question. Have you ever been so financially frustrated from years of poor financial decisions only to wonder, why didn't they teach me in school anything about how to manage money? I've spent the last 20 years learning the secrets to how money really works and how to use it to get financially free on a goal to retire early. I've realized how much of an impact we could have on the world by teaching financial literacy, entrepreneurship, and a successful mindset. Join me as I interview some of the world's most successful business owners, coaches, and parents to get them to share their secrets on how you can not only learn, but teach these lessons to your kids to become financially free and impact your children's financial trajectory so they can avoid the frustration and go on to do great things. I'm Cody Laughlin, and this is the Money Talkers Podcast. Welcome back to Money Talkers with your host, Cody Laughlin. I have Mike Russo here with me today. He is the CEO uh, of Spark Offer and Spark Auction, which we're going to jump into so we can deep dive into the real estate market right now, which is a big topic for a lot of people. Um, but specifically, Mike is a uh, he, he is working on these waves of foreclosures and in a, in a way to, to find a market and find opportunities uh, for people to get into the market in a, in a time right now where the real estate market is so hot. And so uh, I'm ready to dive in this with you. So with that, Mike, welcome to the show. Thank you. Well, I'm glad to have you on here um, because I think right now is, I don't, I know all real estate is relative to where you're at, right? And, uh, and it's all local, but I know where I'm at here in Central Florida, it has gone crazy over the last year. And so I'm wondering if you can kind of start off with telling me about what you have with Spark Offer and what you have with Spark Auction and the differences. And so we can kind of dive into it. Sure. So Spark Offer is a, is a product where buyers uh, can make direct offers to sellers on our platform, right? It's done in a non-binding fashion because our belief, my belief in selling real estate for the last 15 years is all offers are non-binding. The minute you put in an inspection or a mortgage contingency, right? There's always that get out of jail free card. And, you know, everything that we're doing today is consumers want to be more involved in the transaction. They want to have more direct relation. And so Spark Offer allows that. Whether you have a listing agent or you want to do it yourself, right? It's a place where people can come make an offer directly to a seller. We did a property in uh, Winter Garden, Florida, yep. not that long ago, <laughs> where the seller, uh, they put their property on Spark Offer. They themselves put it on Zillow as a for sale by owner. I can get into the changes that are happening on Zillow though uh, in a minute, in a little bit about that. 
And literally within four days, he received offers through SparkOffer, negotiated with the, the buyer's agent that came on SparkOffer and sent me a message at 11 o'clock at night. Like I negotiated this deal by myself. I sold my house on SparkOffer and I love it. <laughs> right? That's awesome. What so um, on Spark, the other thing it does do is it also has things like deadlines for offers, things that you're seeing a lot, especially with the market being so hot today, mm -hmm. right? And, and because what people, and then on Spark Auction, it's the seller sets the rules and people can see exactly what other people are offering. So I'm very passionate today that when you hear about these homes are getting 10, 15, 20 offers, and from the buyer side, you're hearing people say, well, you know, I didn't get a second chance or, you know, I would have paid more, but no one came back to me. We weren't really sure what was going on. And auction clears all that up for people. A seller can literally set the rules and say, I'm willing to have a five-day inspection period, accept a mortgage contingency and close within 45 days. Those are the rules, right? And then after that, the people provide their mortgage pre-qualification and they get allowed to bid and they can see what everybody else is bidding on the property. So right up to the very end of when it exhausts, you know, I got X for my house, the seller knows there was no more money left on the table and the buyer's got an open chance to get to compete and never get snubbed. You know, I, it's funny, I just had a contract accepted yesterday and the house went for sale the day before, right? So it was a one day, uh, I happened to be in the area. Um, it's for a Airbnb type of situation for me. Um, but it is, uh, it, it's so unclear, right? As you're going through this, it's almost like, you, you know, you're making these offers to the agent and one, you're relying on, did the agent take your phone call? Right. Which is crazy to me. Like we call, they don't even answer the phone. And then you call, we called three hours later. And they're like, oh, well, we verbally accepted an offer. Right. And we're like, well, what do you mean? Like, we've been, we just went there this morning. We, we called you at the house and you didn't answer. Now I'm calling you three hours later and you're telling me I'm late. Right. You know, like, and then they're like, well, make your best offer. And you have no idea what the other guy did. You know, it was, it was right. just, and I've been in real estate for a long time, but it is still very frustrating uh, because you're kind of at the mercy of, of someone even answering the phone call. That's right. You know? That's right. And, and people have compared with us. I was on, um, on another interview and someone said, well, you know, if everyone can see my house on Zillow, what is your platforms needed for? And it's like, yeah, but there's no transaction mechanism there, right? The whole purpose of my platforms is so that when you, whether it's an auction or spark offer, that offer gets direct, uh, delivered immediately to the seller instantaneously. They get a text saying you have an offer. Right. And so as the buyer, they can know that my offer got delivered. I didn't get blocked. I didn't get stonewalled, you know, none of it. And that it's in everything that we do today. And that's my passion about changing is, is how do we elevate that for the consumer? Because if you're, if your company today is not pro consumer, then, then you're going to be left in the dust. Yeah. There's too much communica communication between customers these days that you couldn't, you can't be you know, you can't put, put, uh, you can't not put your, how am I saying this? <laughs> you can't put the consumer last. They've got to be first in today's market because they can, you, you're going to get reviews. You're going to have other people talking, you know, and it's instantly. And so when you were coming up with being able to do like spark auction, how did you see a niche in that market? Because there are big players, 
there's open door now there's zillow there's some redfin stuff i don't think we have that down here but like where, where did you see that opportunity so first of all i actually used to be a partner in a company called concierge auctions which is the largest luxury real estate auction firm in america hmm. and we built that out of the distress of the 08 crash and you know, we were selling properties from two to, um, you know, mostly north of 20. Uh, actually, after I sold my interest in concierge auctions, I had the privilege of representing a buyer there in Florida where you are that purchased a home for 45 million uh, in Broward County at auction, right? And like and, the, after the crash? No, that was only a couple of years ago. Oh, really? Yeah. I was like, if it was after the crash, he's probably made a fortune on that place because the yeah, real estate here has bounced all the way back. Well, here's the thing about auctions, right? And, the, and we're going through this on something else. And then I really want to get into your open door question because it's super relevant, which is um, auctions are used, doesn't matter the asset class, art, um, you know, cars, what have you, where things are either very rare and are going to have a lot of interest, right? Hence why I'm preaching, you know, if you have a house that's going to sell within days, it is best for you as a seller to auction it. You will get the most money because there's good, it's the best way to create a clear, transparent competition. Mm -hmm. Or things are hard to value, right? So, you know, properties that are on the market for, you know, high dollars, you know, in this case, the property that my client bought was on the market for 160 million, right? There's not a lot of people that could even afford it at 40 million, right? And so, so that's hard to value, right? And those, those exist all over. Like if you take Miami today, right? There's tons of condos in Miami for sale, right? It becomes hard to value because the choices are virtually infinite, right? Uh, so that's a good solution for auction. But, but going on the, the tightness of inventory in the market, when you have tightness in the market, auction's a great mechanism for that to, for the seller to yield the most money. And so now you look at, open door and Zillow offers and what have you, uh, you know, those, what they're offering is instantaneous speed, right. For quite frankly, a heavy discount, right. They, they make it sound like I, I flipped houses, right. Like nobody can flip houses for a 5% margin, right. Nobody, I don't care who you are. Right. And so the, we did a property on spark offer, not spark auction where our seller, got an offer from open door, put their property on spark offer. And we put that out to the general market, had a deadline for offers in a week, right? Now this is where the difference is those offers are concealed, right? People can still name their own terms, but he sold his property for more money. And at the end it was like 12 or 15%, right? And I said, man, that's great. You sold your property for 15% more than open door offered you. And he said, yeah, that's actually not the best part. Like, yeah, it looks like I got 15% more, but I got 40% more in equity, right? I got tens of thousands of dollars more by putting it on your platform and having a competition than taking the easy way with open door. And so to me, that's the most exciting part about what we can bring to people is that you can know exactly what a big company like open door or Zillow will pay for your house today right? And you can actually go for a low cost and, and put out to the market and say, hey, we're putting this out to the market. Like, can I do better? Right? And then, you know, I want to close in 30 days, 
whatever it is, they set the terms. And so, you know, on Spark Auction or Spark Offer, on a seller direct, agents can come, like I said, I'm pro-consumer, but if a seller comes direct, uh, it's a 2.25% cost of sale. And no matter who brings the buyer, whether it's us or an outside agent, they get 2%. And so, you know, our platform might only have a quarter percent transaction fee, but we recognize that people really, what they value is who's bringing me the buyer. That's who I want to compensate. And we've accounted that for, for our model. Yeah. I, um, I, I, you mentioned being in, uh, as a, as a flipper. Um, and I've told people this before, like, uh, the best deals require certainty to close and speed, right? Those are like the main two ingredients. Like you've got to be prepared before you have the opportunity. You can't, most people, will, there's going to be real estate opportunities that come across most people's lives and they're going to be like, oh, it's a great deal. And they're just, it's just going to go by. And they're like, oh, that one got away. And I'm like, but if you prepare beforehand, and that's kind of what I see with what Open Door and Zillow are doing with these offers is that they're just like giving people like an easy checkout but they're leaving so much money on the table. The you know, seller. Yeah, the seller is. The seller is leaving massive amounts of money on the table because like you said, there's no way they're buying the house to turn it around and list it almost immediately, uh, even with some minor cosmetic stuff. And they don't, like, they've got tens of thousands of dollars in profit coming back in the sale. Otherwise, they can't make the deal work. And so they're pulling that from the sellers and pulling that in and they kind of corporatize it, but it's because they have speed and certainty to close. And so... Um, but, but I, they, I, I love right now, with, me, if you yeah. don't mind me interjecting there, one thing that we're finding is, and, and I've been on some things like, I didn't know what wholesaling was like, I've been in the real estate business and, and now it sort of came together for me. What like these, these, uh, these things that people buy where it's like, Hey, get rich in real estate with no money. Yeah. Right. And it's like, I, I actually became shocked to say, so let me get this straight. Somebody put allows you to put their house under contract with no money, so you can go sell that contract to somebody else. Like that's insanity to me. It's literally insanity, <laughs> right? So, and there's so many investors today. We're getting calls directly from investors saying we're looking for inventory. We're like we're desperate to buy stuff, and and that's the message that I'm trying to put out to a seller. I don't care if your house is decrepit a teardown, you're losing it in foreclosure, you're in pandemic forbearance, like have a way to put it out competitively, transparently to the market and the market will show up. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I'll tell you something funny about that because I owned a website that connected wholesalers to buyers, right? So it was a website that you would, uh, because what I found was that uh, wholesalers have a little email list usually. And it only goes to the whatever they're they're 100 people or 200 people that they have they send their deal out they somebody find somebody buy it i go i went to those seminars at least twice a week because i was in south florida and they have them all the time and what i found out was you know they they go there there's this no money down no credit needed uh just find a property worth this the bank will give you whatever money you need like no questions asked because of all this equity which is complete you know nonsense and uh but the people who go to those and they buy those courses are 98% more likely to buy another $500 course than they ever are to buy a property because it's <laughs> not realistic, right? So 
Um, but, I, you know, and so that I was deep in with the wholesalers uh, until every other house in South Florida had a foreclosure sign on the front of it because and everything was wholesaling. But um, yeah, it's, it, it can be. Um, but for me, I think if you're if you wanted to do that, what, what you would do, especially if there's young people, and if you're like, I've talked about this before, like, I don't, I don't love the idea of trading time for money, right? It's, if you can flip your mindset to trading results for money, then it's a it's a it's a lot faster process to wealth, right? And what I mean by that, and this is we're an opportunity where if someone's listening, they're a parent and they're thinking like, well, what what, what can my kid do? So your kid could go work for ten dollars an hour, uh, twenty hours a week, make two hundred bucks, take home one hundred eighty dollars, right? Do that, you know, you've got I don't know, um, you know, ten dollars. You got to do two hundred hours to get to two thousand bucks. If you can find a local wholesaler. Uh, or a, an REI club in your in your area, a real estate investment club, like go work as a mentor or a bird dog, and you'll make $2,000 just for finding the house. And I'd much rather do that and learn that thing where if I was a kid, like I could go turn and maybe 10 hours, make two grand, as opposed to 200 hours and making the same 2000 bucks. And so, right. you know, I, um, I'm curious what you're seeing right now uh, with the inventories in, in, and you guys are nationwide, right? Yes. Okay. So what are you seeing in the different regions uh, comparatively? Are they very, are they vastly different? Are they mostly the same? Like what are, what are you guys seeing right now? Well, it, it just really depends on pockets. Right. And so the, everything is different. And what I mean is, so for example, with spark offer uh, prior to, to the, the lockdown being lifted, uh, pre-COVID actually, we were having very good success in Greenwich, Connecticut. Greenwich was an oversupplied market of expensive homes, right? Mm -hmm. And then when the market came out of lockdown, everybody fled out of New York, Greenwich became this hot market, right? And, and but the tail isn't exactly the same for everybody, right? It became a very hot market if you had a house sub 3 million, right? If you were above 3 million, the market was better, but it wasn't, you know, on fire, right? And so when you listen to the news, you listen to a lot of local agents, it's like, you know, you would think everything's selling within days and it's just not, not the case, right? Um, I will tell you, so what are we seeing in general? It, you know, high demand for new or relatively new inventory, right? If the how where, where, you know, people that are looking for opportunities, like where can they find value? Mm -hmm. It's like you're finding value in properties that are still mispriced, right? Still happens a lot. And the house is far or less than perfect, right? Because everybody likes the shiny new object and that's the stuff that goes quick, right? And so you're so, seeing new inventory has been going much quicker. Absolutely, yeah. right? And why do you, and why do you think that is? I think just because people don't want to put the time into, you know, any house today, right? Maybe it's the the avatar of the buyers are are like you know kind of like they're maybe coming out of the city and they're like they're not normal. Like if for me, I I, prefer, I I always say you make your money when you buy, right? Me too. And so I'm very much into buying uh, something that needs some work or whatever else it is, like whatever I can, you know. Uh, but it, it, and but I'm wondering if maybe the avatar of the buyer is a different type of buyer because they're not used to buying homes 
and they're like, I don't want to fix anything. I just want my house and then I want to go to work. And you, you think that hasn't changed. That's the way they've been. Really? They've been like that for years. Like, I just want the house that I see, what it looks like in a magazine, right? And today that's like, I want it gray and white and I want these color floors and I want my bathroom to look like this. And I want, and I want um, quartz countertops and it's got to look like these magazine pictures. And if it looks like these magazine pictures, like I'm all in and it's a fierce competition. But, you know, if there's, if, if it looks old, right? Like it, it's got 70s wallpaper, right? Like we have a house right now on Spark Auction and, you know, it's, it's in an upper price point. It's in the mid sevens, right? But mid one seven, right? 1.7 million. And it's up for auction. Beautiful house, right? You talk to in Mesa, so it's a little outside, right? So not quite the same place everybody's looking, but it's got tons of wallpaper, right? And so, so people look at it and they're like, ooh, like what's with all that wallpaper? It's like, yeah, it's not expensive to take down wallpaper and put up paint, right? <laughs> not only not expensive, not hard. <laughs> right, it's not right. hard. Yeah. And so, so, but you know, here's a property that whether it was mispriced, it was the double whammy, right? It was probably mispriced and it's not exactly what people, if they don't picture themselves, it's not the move in ready magazine. You know, I was going to ask you if maybe that's part of the, um, just because I know millennials are now buying houses at record numbers. Um, but I wasn't asking if maybe it's because they're doing that, but they probably don't know what a magazine is. Yeah. <laughs> no, but they but they sure know what house is. Yeah, right? exactly, right? <laughs> like when I was flipping houses, yeah, right? I was using house to say like what are the most common designs that we're seeing and we just went and made the houses that we wanted look like that and we were selling idea. them in a week. That's a great idea. Yeah, using using uh Pinterest house something like that to come in. Yep. A lot of that stuff too is not very expensive, but it adds a great picture in the middle of it, right? It's a great uh, eye-catching thing. Um, I and so well, let me ask you a couple of things. Um, when someone's selling, oh, I'm looking at the wallpaper. The drapes are the drapes are something right. <laughs> on your on your Mesa house. Um, so when <laughs> <laughs> the, the drapes are, are if, I know other people can't see what I'm looking at, but there's a hot pink with a yellow line and a teal bottom to these grapes against a uh, against a rose uh, wallpaper. So it's um, there's opportunity there. That's what I would say. Yes. <laughs> um, but so when people are looking to maximize, let's talk about two different ways. So when people are looking to maximize their investment on the buyer side, um, what would be some advice you would give? And then when people are maximizing their equity on the seller side, what would be your advice to give? So when you, when you just to clarify the question, when they're buying, they're buying for investment or buying to live? I, I would say all buying is investment. If okay. you want my opinion, like I, yep. I, my primary residence and, and my investment properties, I look at them almost the same way, except for cash flow, right? But I, right. as far as, as value wise, I, same thing to me. So, so, and I'm, I'm of the same belief when I got into flipping houses, and right now I'm not flipping any because everything's just so overpriced, in my opinion, or I don't have time to find just that like one. I can't go through 20 properties to get one. Mm -hmm. You know, right now I'm just too busy but it's all on the buy side. Like you can think that, that I'm like, I'm so great at construction and I can like, I'm really awesome at controlling costs, but it's such a small portion of the overall spend. And so, um, so in looking on the buy side, how do you find value? Um, number one is 
is what is the house or how does it fit current design trends? And then like, actually, how can you, if it doesn't fit it, is the bones there to maximize it, right? Mm -hmm. So for example, everything that I bought for a period of three years, either had a master suite, act a first floor master suite, which actually none of them did, or it had the bones that I could, and, and space that I could reconfigure it to have a first floor master suite. And so while that's a more expensive um, change, right? To be ripping down walls and adding a bathroom and all that stuff, it adds immense value because the general consumer wants a first floor master suite, right? Um, and so, so that's number one. Number two is, you know, I really looked at what the bones of the house were Right. And so, you know, houses that, you know, definitively seem to have hidden damage or what have you, I would account for. And like a lot of times I didn't get them. Right. Yeah. I got outbid by somebody. Uh, there was a house. I own a house on uh, in my town and there was a house a couple of doors down that I bid on and like I wound up lost losing. And my partner said to me, you know, we could spend more on this. I go, you know what? Houses on the street tend to have mold damage. And sure enough, like the people bought it sight unseen, they got in there, they spent 30 grand more than I was willing to pay. And they got in there and there was awful mold and, and they got shut down. It, it was too, it was costly, right? So you gotta yeah. watch out for that. Um, so, but it's about finding value. The other thing is what can you, what's hidden that like not everybody's looking at. So uh, another example is I bought a single family home that, was old and really was a teardown, but the lot, because the agent marketed it as a single family home and it had like a, an additional apartment in it, but people didn't look at that. They just looked on the surface. It said single family home, but it was really zoned for two family. And so I bought that at a very good price and we actually tore it down and built two condos and, you know, just real numbers is, you know, we bought it for 500 grand we were into it for 1.1 with construction and sold both units for a total of 1.6 million, right? Wow. It was an awesome project, but nobody was looking and at the underlying doing their homework and say, wow, there's really, you know, there's a gem here. You right? know, you said something really uh, important there that I think that um, a lot of people that are thinking about doing investments, uh, you know, can learn and that is there's patience, but it's also sometimes you win when you lose, right? Like you lost the auction, but you, but you won on the deal because it, it, it wasn't your deal. So you set your numbers and they don't realize they say, Oh, this is an amazing deal. It's an amazing deal. It's like, no, no, no. When you get to a number, this, you need to know your numbers prior to either a bidding or making an offer uh, because, and then set to those. So if that deal doesn't work, there's another deal. You could just got to go find another deal, you know? I learned that when I owned my old auction company, because we did, I got the chance to meet some amazingly wealthy people that built their wealth and they were bidding on homes, what have you. And they were absolutely amazingly disciplined. Wow. Right. And, and this is what the house was worth to them. And they weren't going a penny over. I try to tell people it's not an emotional game, right? I said, and, and, and uh, for me, I always had a rule with my wife. I'm like, I'm not taking her to a house that I'm not willing to buy because <laughs> she, you know, we, we look at these things very differently. It's like, to me, I'm like, it's walls and doors. Like, I don't, you know, I, I just, I've, I've, li I've lived in uh, nine places in 10 years. So it was just kind of, you know, I'm used to just going 
with her, it was always like, well, this is a home. And it was like much more of a different analyst. You know, she, she analyzed things a lot differently, you know, when we walk into them. Um, but it's an emotional piece, but you've got to keep that discipline. I think what you're talking about, it's a very important uh, part of the, the investing criteria. And I don't think there's a lot of that going on right now. And I'd like to get your opinion. I'm very scared about that actually for people that are buying places for homes, right? So, you know, first of all, we are at interest rates that none of us have ever seen, right? Uh, I refinanced the home that I'm living in right now. Um, and this is an interesting part of my story. I rented the house, when we moved into Massachusetts from Colorado, we rented a house first because I wanted to get, you know, a sense of the area. And I wound up staying in that house for nine years, right? Um, but five years ago, I bought a house up the street because it came on the market and it was a good price and it had good bones and it had the good layout and what have you. And I have five children. Right. And so, but that was a much smaller house. And I said, one thing that I really recognized in everything I was doing is I was selling a lot of houses for people that were, had these monster homes and they were downsizing. Right. And I bought that house as my downsize house and I rented it out for five years. And so the, the, but I refinanced it not that long ago at like just under 4%. And then in a the blink of an eye, we're under three, right? And so when I listen to my friends that are in real estate that are selling houses to people that are buying it for three, four or 500,000, what I would call like core prices, right? They'll say, hey, do you really wanna lose out on like this for 20 grand? It's only like another $50 in a mortgage over 30 years. And it, it feels very much like when you go to a car dealership. I was going to say, it sounds like a car salesman right there. Right? <laughs> payment and buyers. So, that's what people, people are payment buyers now though. Everything's monthly recurring revenues and payment buyers and stuff, but you know. So that's the part that scares me, right? Because we're in this overheated market that's fueled by low interest rates. And so there's no margin for error in the economy for for these people buying at record high prices today as interest. So now all of a sudden, if interest rates go from 3% to 5%, unless wages increase with that, which is, a, you know, quite frankly, is also an increase in inflation, then the next buyer of that house, you're either selling at a loss, right? Because your house is no longer worth or wages have have to increase for people to buy it. And that to me is, the central question that buyers should be asking themselves is like, how bad do I need this house, right? Because there's nothing wrong with renting for the next one year, two year, three years, right? Where I live my life and see, see what happens. Because even though the herd is flocking towards buying all this inventory, you know, it's it, like everything, it's gonna, it's gonna fade, right? And buying opportunities will come at a better price. And so, um, the, I think people need to be very cognizant of it. So doesn't it feel like we've been saying that about the interest rates for so long though? Like I remember in like 05 as a mortgage broker, they're like, man, these rates are record low. We're never going to see these again. And here we are 16 years later and we're lower than where they were then, you know, we've had so a couple of blips, but. That's the question though, right? Yeah. Like, are we, are, is, is, so, so this adds to the investment side now. If we're forever locked into the Fed keeping interest rates literally in the cellar, right? Then, and they never go, and they essentially like don't come up for a decade, 
right? Let's just say that happens, right? The next decade, it just re remains at these record lows. Then that's how we're getting asset inflation and everything else, whether it be mm -hmm. the stock market, the housing market, what have you, because money is virtually free yeah. and, and investors are desperate for yield, right? Like it's, it's, very, it's becoming very hard to find. And, you know, I would have never thought in any given day that anyone would buy a cash flow property for, you know, a, a prime piece of property for three to 4% yield. It seems, it literally seems insane, right? And so, um, you know, again, I think, and I want to focus this back on the core of your show of like parents looking to advise kids of like, how do we make money in this, in this, in, in the world? And, and number one is patience, right? Like you gotta, you gotta, we've become a very impatient society, right? And you gotta, you gotta learn that virtue of patience of, you know, just because you missed out on this today doesn't mean there's not something around the corner. And that I think is a general good rule for life. Um, so number one, number two, you know, going back to your, uh, your element of trading time for money. I totally agree with you, right? Like I've got five kids. Um, I'm talking to my children every day. I've got three in college of, you know, what can you be doing to learn a skill that you can leverage where you get to make, make more money for your time, right? Rather than a trade dollar for, you know, an hour for $10, right? For example. Yeah. Results versus time, right? Like I don't, when I, when you have that mindset shift and you start thinking about it, you know, um, there are people that I would pay a lot of money for half an hour of their time, you know, if they could solve a problem that I needed solved, you know? Yep. And so um, how do you get into that game? And that's the mindset to it. And I was going to ask you, as you mentioned, you had five kids. What are, uh, what are some of the lessons that you guys talk about in your household? So we talk mostly about debt, right? Mm -hmm. Like I'm not one of these people that is completely anti-debt, right? Like I have a mortgage and I have investment properties that have mortgages and, um, but the mortgage landscape certainly has changed with the limits on what you can write off, right? Mm -hmm. um, my personal goal is to have my personal home, you know, mortgage free. Um, but, you know, I've got three kids in college, like, you know, paying off the mortgage right now, you know, doesn't take the same priority as putting them through college. Um, making decisions, I will tell you, each of my kids will take some amount of debt to go to college. It's important that they're invested. But we did that with sitting down with every college they got into, how much it cost, how much debt would be associated with that over four years, what that looked like over 10 years, right? And actually go through and have them try to imagine like, hey, what's my life gonna look like from 22 to 32? Mm -hmm. And what are the things that I think I might wanna do during that time, like buy a home, get married, whatever it is, right? And, and you know, how will that factor into what you have to earn, right? Um, the element of like my boys, uh, are very lucky because the town we live in has a top 100 U.S. golf course that they caddy at. And, you know, in that case, they do trade time for money, but like the trade's actually pretty good, right? Yeah, well, that's and, a mentorship though, right? It, no, it's not. I mean, it's, well, I imagine it's, they're probably, they're probably carrying, caddying for some pretty successful people. Yes, they that's are. That's what I mean by that. Yep. That's and they get to, yeah. they get to meet a lot of interesting people, um, people that give them advice, what have you, but, but, 
you know, what I, in their case, we said, yes, you're going to probably have your nine to five job, right? But, you know, in, in earlier years when we were younger, right, you had a second job. Today, it's not a second job. It's a side hustle, right? <laughs> I always and, tell people, I didn't know that my dad did side hustles. I just thought because we, he always had side hustles and we take me on them all the time. And I just, it never even occurred to me until recently. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? Yep. Um, so, so for them, part of their plan was, yes, I'm going to take this debt, but you know, over a five-year period, if I just keep caddying on the weekends, I'm going to make X amount of dollars. I can apply right to my debt and pay it off faster, right? Yep. And so, you know, and especially that aspect of what's, what's cheap debt versus expensive debt, right? The other thing is going back to some of the things both related to housing and what have you is I'm very cognizant to talk to them about, you know, um, people trying to trade uh, your debt into something lower. So like, hey, it's okay that I got this credit card debt, but now they want me to add it to my mortgage because it's, it's a lot cheaper. Then, you know, yeah, it's cheaper, but that doesn't mean it was good, yeah. right? Like I consider that, that paying my mortgage for the house is good, right? But if I went out and bought a $50,000 car that I then added to my 30-year mortgage, like that's bad, right? <laughs> and plus you're probably paying a hundred grand for that $50,000 car. Um, well, exactly. And it doesn't have a 30-year life no. and it's never going to appreciate. No. Yeah. No, it's um, uh, the payment buying mentality is very dangerous and it's, and it's pushed very hard uh, by the people that lend money. Um, you know, you'll see in the car prices... If you've seen a map of the car prices over the last eight to 10 years, um, it's gone up like significantly, not with inflation. Like, uh, and the reason is because now they're doing car loans at eight years and nine year loans. You know what I mean? It's that's big, the only way people can afford it. They're stretching the payment. And so people were buying, you know, and so they're getting $80,000 cars when they probably should be buying $40,000 cars, you know? Yep. And, um, I think that's really commendable that you sat down to actually do this vision piece because I have a real problem with the ability to hand a kid a pen and let them sign on an unfettered debt that's going to be stuck to them that's not bankruptable that there's no uh, there's no skin in the game for the lender or the uh, or the school getting the money right on the success of it that you sat down to say okay here's what's going to happen if you acquire XYZ debt over the next 10 years let's talk about that I think that was a fantastic move on your part. Um, I, I hope that more people will listen to this and, and take that approach as they talk to it. I have one other question about that. Did you, in that conversation, did you talk about the purpose for going to college? Oh, like, we talk about it very much. Yeah. So, so if you're going to go and spend this money, it's going to, because it's, because it's going to make you X, Y, Z more money here, or you're going to go in the field that you want. Like, how did you have that conversation? Yeah, so a couple different ways, right? Um, so number one is that I, um, number one is that, you know, my wife and I are Catholic and I did want my kids to go to Catholic school. So uh, I do have a daughter that's in nursing. And so, you know, for her, uh, could she have gone to a state school for nursing? Yes. Um, but, you know, for us, my wife and I, you know, one said, you're gonna take on a little bit of debt no matter where you go. And we'll contribute to that if you stay in a Catholic school because we, we believe in that. And so, um, you know, but the more important part is I'm a branding guy, 
right? Like everything I've done, you know, I worked corporately at Sotheby's International Realty. My first career in real estate was at Caldwell Banker on the corporate level. Um, you know, I've been associated with some great brands. Uh, Barbara Corcoran was, a, was an advisor to us at my last auction company. You know, she's the queen of, of branding, right? Mm -hmm. And so when it came to my boys, uh, who are twins that they want, it was the choice between state college and Boston college, right? Dramatic difference. <laughs> right. And, and, but they also got into some other good schools like Bentley and Fordham and what have you. And when you looked at those schools on the value chain, they cost the same as Boston college, right. But they weren't a top 35 college. Right. And so the question really started in the conversation was, okay, now this is gonna increase your debt by X, right? And over the lifetime of, of you having a degree with that brand, do you think that you can earn X plus Y, right? And, and ultimately they made the decision that they could. Um, and I think that, that actually they can. Um, and so they make that additional investment to go to Boston College, right? I'm yeah. also very, very focused with the kids um, on, on looking at what is out there in the job market today. Right. And so, you know, my daughter who's in nursing, like, listen, there's a shortage of nurses that's never going away. Yeah. Right. That might be in your, in your case, what you talk about of like trading time for money. Like there's not a lot of value creation, but there's also purpose in that, that that's something that she felt passionate about. Um, my boys, um, are great writers. And, you know, I, I jokingly, when I meet teenagers and say, hey, what are you going to go to school for? And they're like, finance. I'm like, of course you are, right? Because if you're not going for engineering and computer science, like the default is almost to finance to say my ability to be a banker is like my, that's how I'm going to become wealthy. And quite frankly, there's nothing that I disagree with more. And so, so what I said to my boys is like, just follow what you're really good at because people that whether investment bankers, whether they're engineers, whether they're creating software, I don't care what they're doing in today's society, everybody needs to sell it. And in order to sell it, you got to be to be able to communicate it. And who needs to do that? Somebody that can write. <laughs> I'll tell you this, most engineers are probably not real good copywriters, right? <laughs> right. Uh, everything's a sale. And so I, um, yeah, I, I, I would agree with you when uh, in that fact that what you're talking about, like with your daughter going to nursing, like if there there's a purpose to going to that school, though, and that was kind of what I was getting to is that you had those conversations and, I'm, and, and I wanted to, I, I could sense that you were, I was going to be able to ask you that and that was kind of what I was going to come back because I want people listening to say, okay, like, you know, just going to school today, I don't think it's, uh, I, I don't, I don't, I don't know if the debt is going to be worth it unless you know what the return is and you have those conversations because like you said it is an investment at that point and so if you're going with no purpose and investing and just holding on to debt and these things and things and going to school without a purpose to come out on the other side and say can you get x plus y then it's really not a very good investment you know in my in my mind and there's um, so many options today. So like yeah. it used to be the default when you and I were younger is like, oh, I got to go to two year college at the community college, which quite frankly is a great option, right? I should have taken it. I didn't, I should have, right? So that's number one. Number two is like, for example, when I, 
over the last 10 years, I've taken classes at Harvard online and, and you can get an entire degree. You can't necessarily, like, it's not easy to get accepted, but like you take three classes, you have to pass a writing course and you get accepted in their degree program. You can get an online degree that says Harvard university for 40 grand, right? <laughs> the whole degree. Well, we used to have to look things up in encyclopedias though, right? right. So, <laughs> so that's why like I, my son is seven. He just turned seven and him and my daughter is nine. They consume things completely different. It's amazing to what they want to know how to do something. They go find it and right. they know how to do it instantly. You know, you used to have to go to school so that you could prove that you knew how to do something. And now it's like, you know, uh, it, it, whatever you want to be, you can go do that. And I think that's a great alternative for people if they're not having that conversation to go to school for a purpose. You know, if it's, it's not like it was 30 years ago and they said, hey, you need to have a degree or else you can't make money. And now it's like, no, you need to learn something to make money. You have to have a skill. Yeah, you're, you're going for a purpose. And so, um, Mike, I, I think it's uh, awesome. Uh, thank you for sharing that with us. Um, you know, we're out of time on this episode, but uh, where do people find out more about what you're doing and who should come find you? So anybody that's interested in selling or buying real estate, please come find me. Uh, we are on uh, YouTube at doing a, we do our own live show that people can send in questions right? At any time they can find me at Mark, um, excuse me, my name's Mike, Mike, <laughs> Mike at sparkoffer.com. And they can find me on LinkedIn. They can send me an email. Um, I'm happy to advise people in any way. The, these things are, you know, people that especially own homes, uh, you know, a lot of times them getting to sell a home might be the most that they might earn in any given period of time with the equity. And so I'm very passionate about that. I'm very, you know, one thing we didn't cover, I did also lose basically everything in the 08 crash in January of 2010. I had five kids, I had a thousand dollars to my name and I was losing my home. And, and, you know, there's 3 million people in pandemic forbearance, mm -hmm. right? Like find me, reach out to me. Like we're here for you because like it, it, it's going to take some good advice. You know, I, I laugh about it because I tell people, um, in 09, I just wished I'd be, I just, my, I aspired to be broke. <laughs> I was so far, so far in the deep end of the debt cycle. I just wanted to be broke. That was like, my whole goal was to get back to having nothing. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> but listen, Mike, thank you so much for sharing with us. Uh, Money Talkers, this is your opportunity. Reach out, go check these things out. There's, there's, at least educate and learn. And if you don't know many things about the real estate market, you don't know about auctions, like it's a wonderful journey to just sit down with your kids and go over these things. Like just talk about it and see what their point of views are and their perspective and just open up their eyes that these are real things. And so with that, thank you so much for coming on Money Talkers, Mike. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you for listening to another episode of Money Talkers with me, your host, Cody Laughlin. If you found this episode helpful in your pursuit of financial dominance, it really helps if you make sure to leave a five-star rating and share it with your friends or family members who could use good financial information and entrepreneurial success tips. I invite you to join the Money Talkers Community Facebook group. Open Facebook and search for Money Talkers to join today. Follow us on Instagram at The Money Talkers for inspirational mindset posts, encouragement, and investing tips. And remember, the one thing you can do to change your kids financial future is to start talking about money with them because you are a money talker <laughs>